Welcome to Keeping Up With Life, where we empower you with health, business and family life strategies for you to live your best days. I'm your host, Pippa Hansen. I'm the CEO, a mother of teenagers and have a passion to live an active and healthy life. Each episode contains practical tips and insights on how you can succeed in all aspects of your life, delivered to you in bite-sized pieces to implement straight away. This episode is brought to you by the Sports Injury Clinic, whose mission is to enhance the lives of its clients, staff, other professionals, and the greater community. Jack Dix, welcome back to another uh, podcast episode. Thank you for being here again. Thanks, Pip. It's good to be back on the podcast. With a very keen interest in uh, across a uh, range of sports, football and martial arts, I thought it'd be great to talk to you about corkies. Yes. Um, <laughs> I see a lot of them uh, being involved in... Um, boxing and mixed martial arts and in the past I've been very involved in football so yeah I see a lot of corkies. I think traditionally um, they're sort of associated with my perception is that corkies are associated with football Um, but clearly you know boxing and martial arts you're getting whacked and kicked and so you can get get them anywhere I suppose. You can you can so with football uh, we largely associate corkies with thigh contusions where someone's had blunt trauma, be it a knee, an elbow, a head, a goalpost, makes contact with a with a big fleshy area like like the thigh. So yeah, that's where they're. But um, I guess the more soft tissue there is in an area, uh, the more likely you are to have serious issues. But with the boxers and the cage fighters that I work with. Um, you know, they get blunt trauma to the arms and the and the body, and 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 they are contusions as well. Um, so they're they're corkies, but because there's not as much soft tissue, they they tend not to be put in that corky category. Yeah, okay. And a contusion—that's the bleeding under the skin. Is that how you describe that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you basically have some blunt trauma, and you have uh, breaking of capillary beds, and you um, blood that should be kept within the circulatory system is now free to roam wherever it wants to go within uh, within and between muscle fibres. And so what's the impact then of a corky? What what does it do to a person? Are they dangerous? Well, they are, um, and they should always be taken seriously. The, the classic uh, situation where things went a bit pear-shaped was Shane Crawford, Hawthorne footballer, won a Brownlow medal and a premiership. Uh, in I can't remember the exact year, but it was mid '90s somewhere where he got a corky in a um, AFL game, and he was told they iced it, and he was told you know all the right things, compression, take care of it, and he then went out for dinner, and halfway through dinner he uh, went to stand up to go to the toilet, and um, he couldn't feel anything in his leg, and they called an ambulance, took him off to hospital, and the bleeding was had kept going and was now compressing nerves and um, other um, blood vessels. So they can obviously be quite severe. You can have a, a one that might just be the size of your palm, but they can yeah. obviously spread to quite large areas of your body yeah. then like that. yeah. Depending on, obviously, the, the force of the trauma, and the uh, the body area that it's in, um, you know, the more tissue there is, the more capillary beds there are, the more chance of, of more bleeding. So would you t- treat a thigh corky any different to a body or an arm corky? Well, you probably would. Um, actually, 
No, I'm going to say you probably wouldn't. Uh, you treat them the same way. It's just that you'd probably extend, the only difference is you'd extend the timeframes um, by which you'd expect that person to recover and you would probably expect a bit more dysfunction or uh, impact on their ability uh, to perform tasks with a large area like the thigh. So in other words, like if you get one of my boxes gets a contusion on the shoulder, that's probably going to cause less dysfunction um, than uh, a corky to the, to the thigh. Because of the size of the body part. Yeah, the yeah. size of the body part, more capillary beds, more bleeding, yep. more pain, dysfunction. So what's the immediate treatment? If Let's talk the thigh. What's the immediate treatment? Okay, so we get into a, um, an interesting area there because I would say ice um, is the best way to go, but there are others that would disagree with ice. Now, um, we, if someone is injured within a, a game, a decision has to be made initially, do, do, is this player required um, for, to play more in the game or can we remove them from the game? So you might get a decision where, let's say it's a grand final and you've got a star player who's got uh, a corky and the decision is made, like, we, we won't have to play next week because this is the grand final, so um, let's just keep them warm, keep them moving, and we'll deal with the consequences later. Um, so, and, and that's obviously an extreme example, but there's other examples of, um, as a physio, I'll tell the coach, this is where the, the guy's at. He's got a corky. Um, if he keeps playing, he's going to bleed more, which probably means we won't have him for next week, maybe even a week after. So do we pull the pin now or do you need him for the rest of the game? And uh, my job's not to be the, the – it's really the coach's decision, unless it's really severe. But uh, so if we decide that, that it's the end of the day for that, that player and they come off, I would say – the first thing you do is ice it. Now, um, there is a school of thought uh, within sports medicine that perhaps ice shouldn't be used because, and the rationale for that is that there's no research to suggest that ice is of any benefit. But my defence of using ice to the people who say that ice is no longer effective is that how do you possibly do that study? The reason why the study doesn't exist is because you can't do it. You'd have to cause exactly the same blunt trauma to, well, probably the the, um, the two thighs of one individual, and then you'd have to ice one and not the other, and and see what happened to it. Um, now, you know, I don't know if anyone wants to volunteer for that study to have stand up and we'll whack both your thighs, <laughs> blunt trauma under both thighs. Um, so, yeah, so I still think theoretically what we're doing with ice is we're reducing that initial reaction of the body to flood blood to an injured area and and reduce the inflammatory processes that go on once the brain realises that that, or, that area has been traumatised. Um, you, don't, you don't eliminate the inflammatory processes, you just reduce them. I know with the um, junior football that I'm involved in, if we ever call the um, the first aid people over and we've iced the kids, they won't let us 
put them back on. Yeah, good. Yeah. That, that's perfect. And that's because it's obviously co- uh, cooled that area down yeah. so they're more likely to hurt it. Exactly. With what you're talking about with the keeping warm and keep moving. Yeah. So, yeah. If they're going, if they needed to play more, and it's just minor, and it's a big game, or the, and they're a star player, you know, scenarios like that. Yeah, you, you keep warm, keep them moving. But if the day's over, then you ask them. Yep. So, what's the time frame on them returning to sport? You said you know that it can have an impact on their ability to move and function. What what sort of time frames are we looking at? Highly variable, <laughs> <laughs> depending on the size of the bleed, and um, there are individual factors as well. So, um, some people recover better than others. I would say, if we were to say a moderate sized thigh, corky, you're probably looking at two to four weeks. And is that because of the pain? Is that actually? Yeah. They're still in pain and yeah. they're still yeah. actually not able to use yeah. that leg there's, or yeah. – yeah, okay. Because there's probably no more bleeding going on after the first couple of days. Um, but, yeah, it's about the fact that all this blood that should be within the circulatory system, within the capillaries, is now, you know, has leaked out, gone everywhere. But uh, also the the other factor there is that um, the, the management, uh, the initial first aid management is really important. So uh, I had, when I was working at at, uh, an AFL football club, we had a player who in the last game of the season got quite a significant corky to his thigh. And I gave him the usual advice, ice, compression, um, and then, you know, don't drink any alcohol. That that one's hard for people to stick by, isn't it? They all know that they shouldn't be, but history tells us it's part of the end of the day. (laughs) Now, this was the last game of the season this was in. So I think he heard me wrong. And when I said, don't drink any alcohol, I think he heard me wrong. And he he drank as much alcohol as he could possibly. (laughs) And what he did is he caused himself a massive bleed. And when he came back um, to the club, just before Christmas to resume pre-season training, um, he had a, a massive contusion, uh, sorry, a massive hematoma that um, actually had to be uh, reduced by a surgeon. So that's because the alcohol thins the blood? Um, alcohol's a vasodilator. So what that means is that when you have alcohol, um, the, the blood vessels in your periphery open up and, and allow more blood to flow. So, I mean, you know, um, people may have experiences of drinking alcohol outside on a cold night and all of a sudden it doesn't feel so cold. And, um, you know, 100 years ago in um, Swi- uh, Switzerland and European skiing countries, if someone was lost in the snow, they'd send the St. Bernard dog out. With the uh, barrel around its neck. With the little barrel of brandy <laughs> around its neck. And the, the people lost in the snow would have some brandy and they'd feel warmer and that's good, but they'd probably die faster because there's more <laughs> peripheral blood flow, losing more heat. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So if so if you've got this hematoma and it doesn't need surgery, yeah. is that something that you then... Like it's quite solid and quite hard. How do you get rid of that without surgery? Well, um, treatment, but um, soft tissue management, soft tissue treatment, kinesiology taping is good. But um, you can also have a condition where calcium can be laid down and and you get a permanent um, 
that, that doesn't happen often. So I don't want people to worry too much about that. It doesn't happen often. And that usually happens when, when a corky's been poorly managed. So if you manage a corky well, um, that, that is very unlikely to happen. Yeah. So even that, even that initial corky will actually stay quite sort of firm under the skin, won't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah for a little yeah. while. Okay. Yeah. So what other – so we keep talking about the legs. The arms and body, you're not treating any different, you said, really. It's just that it's a smaller – Yes, yeah, same sort of management, um, but um, those of you who know me will know that I'm a big fan of kinesiology tape um, and a particular brand of kinesiology tape is what I use. Um, <laughs> You're and- a great lecturer on that course, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and so my fighters, let's say, who've got who get lots of contusions, I mean, they get my cage fighters get a lot of thigh from the, the kickboxing element of cage fighting because anyone who's seen Thai boxing knows that there's a lot of kicks to the thigh and um, that's that's an example of a tactic within Thai boxing where if you can cause someone enough of a corky in their thigh and they can't move, um, you know, they're, they're Taking out. limited in their capacity <laughs> to, to hurt you. Um, but, uh, yeah, by, um, they get thigh contusions from the kicks but they also obviously get upper body um, you know, around the ribs and the and the and the trunk um, from punches, and also um, from the from the wrestling and the grappling that they do. Uh, and my fighters will come out of a, a fight night after they've had a shower with bits of bits of kinesiology tape all over their body, um, where I've taped their uh, their little contusions. But as I said before, the less soft tissue there is in an area. The, the less capillary bed, the less bleeding, the less effect on function it's yeah. going to have. Yeah. So, yeah, the example I gave before was if you compare a corky to the thigh and a corky to the shoulder, there's, there's not as much tissue there's not in the, in the shoulder, so it's not going to bleed as much, so you're not going to have as much dysfunction. Yeah, okay. So what are your top tips then for those, um, someone that gets a nice blunt trauma to their thigh? What do you tips for, to get them back quickly. One, to look after it, clearly no alcohol, yep, yep. <laughs> but to definitely, get them back quickly. Definitely good initial management, and I would say that includes ice. Apologies to the physios out there and other sports medicine professionals who don't believe in ice. Um, compression initially um, and some rest. Take it easy. Uh, there used to be a school of thought many years ago that you run them out. And uh, I remember when I was at school uh, and I got a corky playing football and the coach's instruction to me was, you know, just run laps, you've got to run it out. <laughs> I and, have heard that. <laughs> yes, yes, and that was a problem. <laughs> it probably extended the length of that injury. For was that a- about trying to keep you warm and keep you out there? You were one of the key players? No, no, no. <laughs> I was definitely one of the peripheral players. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, it it it's not good. Mm. It's I mean I think at the time it was like you know if there's been bleeding into the muscle, we'll forget the muscle. You know, um, working. It'll pump that blood out. Yes. Yeah. There was also a school of thought in gridiron because they get a lot of contusions, obviously, um, that you should ice in an elongated position. So you should put the muscle on as much stretch as you can get it on without causing the athlete 
or patient too much discomfort. Because the other thing we should point out is that this these are not just athlete injuries. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I've known people who have just walked past the couch and bashed their leg into the couch. Oh, and the table that hurts. Yeah, yeah. With or the, the bike handle in the thigh. Correct. Fall off the bike and the bike handle. The, that's yeah. yeah that can, that's <laughs> a big problem that I've treated many times before. So that's a good example. And if you think about the uh, a bike handle going into your thigh, that's a really specific um, trauma. So you're going to have a lot of force going into a smaller space. So you've got less tissue to absorb that that impact. So yeah, that that's a great example. That's why it hurts so much. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Personal experience. <laughs> so, so yeah. So management was your question. Yeah. Um, ice, compression, and take a rest. So realistically, what would if someone came to you and yeah. said, "I did this, you know, on the weekend. Yep. Can I play next weekend?" Yeah. So, what yeah, does what if, are you looking at to make that decision? Okay, if we just backtrack there for a second, yep. because I, you know, your, your question was about you know management. Best management. Yep. Um, I, I would say to that person, have a rest. Don't come and see me uh, for treatment for a few days. Yep. Because you just want to let it settle to begin with and let any bleeding and, inf- and uh, inflammation stop. So depending on the size of the trauma, three to five days later, I'd probably have them come into the practice and we'd do some um, some soft tissue management and, and that's when I'd start to use kinesiology tape on that, that person. So what does the tape do? It takes over them. The, I'm going to say it wrong, so you tell me what it does. Okay, so um, we're, we're aware of three things that kinesiology tape does. One of them we've got pretty good evidence for, one of them we've got some evidence for, and the third um, thing we've got virtually no evidence for because it's pretty hard to do. So um, just quickly, not to bore you too much with the details, but the first thing it does is give your brain more information about where that body part is. So the tape being elastic pulls on the skin and um, therefore sets off mechanoreceptors to send information to your brain. Things, mechanoreceptors, are skin receptors that pick up um, pressure, light pressure, light touch, uh, um, vibration, temperature. So, you know, when you put your hand on the hot stove, the things that tell your brain that that this is, you know, there's a problem are um, receptors in the skin. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one of the things it does. It uses um, light touch or, or pulling on the mechanoreceptors to send information to the brain about that body part. The second thing that it does, and this is what really comes more into the management of, of uh, contusions, is that it, that it decompresses tissue and um, in, improves fluid dynamics. So it allows the body to get some, some blood flow in there to um, help recovery, and it helps the body to, to get rid of waste products and um, things that you know, it, it needs to get rid of to heal that injury. And for that, we've got some, for that aspect, we've got some, some, some ultrasound studies that actually show decompression of tissue under ultrasound. And the third 
thing that kinesiology tape does is in decompressing tissue, in lifting the tissue through the, the elasticity of the tape, it allows better slide and glide between fascial layers. Um, now, the, there's a, a British uh, researcher, Jeffrey Bove, who did some research on what massage actually does. And he found that the, um, the most important aspect of massage or the most beneficial part of massage is not that we're deforming tissues, but that we're, we're allowing better glide of tissues on each other. So you've got um, skin, and then under the skin you've got a couple of layers of fascia. You've got superficial fascia, deep fascia, and then you've got fascia that covers muscles, and then you've got fascia within muscles. And what he found is that um, massage... His greatest benefit is increasing the slide and glide of those tissues. So when you've had a massage and you get up off the couch and you say, oh, wow, gee, that body part is feeling better, he believes it's got a lot more to do with the slide and glide of tissues has been restored. So just to sum up, that's kinesiology tape has, we believe it has three effects, the first being the neurological effect of giving the brain more information about that body part. We have quite good evidence for that. The decompression of tissues allowing better fluid dynamics. We've got virtually no research for that except clinical experience, mainly because that study would be pretty hard to do for the same reason ice studies are really hard to do. And the third aspect is the allowing better tissue glide and slide, and we've got some uh, low-level research for that. Great. Yeah. So, so, do you put it on the actual yeah. corky or around it? Yeah, on, on it to cause to uh, make all that happen. Yeah. 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 There's a, a nice little technique called a zapper, or in America they call it a starburst, where you've basically got just tape, four pieces of tape. Um, you know, if you imagine in a cross, and then diagonals. Across. Oh, like a nice star. So you just get <laughs> lots and lots and lots of decompression of that area. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Great. So, okay, so that's your management. And, um, yep. Yeah, and then increasingly as the, as the, the tissue is healing, then the, the soft tissue aspect, the massage, the stretching um, would continue. And at some point you'd put some strengthening in there as well just to restore the muscle's function. There's, some, there's an element to it of uh, re- in returning to training also, of wanting to get that body part, getting the brain more comfortable about the function in that, that body part. So what I mean by that is when, when a, a brain experiences the trauma of a body part being injured, your brain goes into survival mode. And um, the brain will decrease function to that area initially because it believes that the, that body part has been has been injured, been damaged, so we better look after it, better protect it. So in your gradual return to uh, to training, to strengthening, to using that tissue again, it's good to do a graduated process, a graduated return to training over a couple of weeks just to give your brain a chance to experience, oh, okay, so we did some activity and nothing went wrong, so, so possibly that body part is okay. So... That's a very important part of rehabilitation and progressive return mm. to activity is that we're not only trying to rehabilitate the body part, but we're also trying to rehabilitate a brain. 
and show that brain that that this body part is okay and capable of high-level function again. Because otherwise your body starts to compensate. Correct. So more chance of getting injured again, yeah, and not, not exactly. through the corky but through what your body's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great. Fabulous. All right. Thank you very much. I think that's um, amazing, and I know that patients really don't like hearing, no, you're out for another week. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes complete sense. You know, we do want people to be back at full form and function so they're not hurt and they're not on this repeat cycle of play off, play off, play yeah. off. And well, I think, I think it, it comes down to your physio, your doctor, your chiropractor, your, your treater is give it, trying to give you objective information that is in your best interests. I know over the years I've had people who say, when I say, look, this is going to take four weeks to repair, they'll say to me, oh, but I've got a grand final in <laughs> two weeks. But really... My, my kids may have said that at some stage. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's sad because yeah. sometimes you've got, to, you've got to tell a person, you know what, you know, you've... you've You've torn your hamstring and it's not going to get better in two weeks and sorry, but the grand final is not going to happen for you. But, you know, like so long as people keep in mind that we've got their best interests at heart when we make those decisions. Yeah. I've got a friend who um, had treatment recently and the physio who that she was seeing said, I know you're not going to listen to me, but you shouldn't be playing. <laughs> <laughs> and her answer was, yeah, thanks for the treatment and I'm probably not going to listen to you. <laughs> well, you know, I guess so long as we've... She did re-injure herself. So yeah. yeah, as long as we've, you know, given them our best advice, yeah. I mean, we can sleep nights. Yeah. And if they re-injure themselves, well... You know they're we'll, coming back. We'll look after them, but, you know, we've given them our best information. I've certainly had people like that. Yeah. And some of them get away with it. Yeah, some and, do. But 90% don't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's that part where things actually stop hurting. So you're not ready, like you've said, you're not strong enough and your body's not ready, but yeah. the pain's not there. So it's like, I can do this, but yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And then you, the other thing is that um, you, you never train as hard as you're playing a game. You know, once the ball's bounced or once the 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 bell's gone and it's on. Oh, yeah, there's no 60% once you're on the court. There's no 60% <laughs> or the field or. <laughs> once you're on the court. So you no. need to be, you need to have some conditioning behind you. Yeah. Knowing that the you even if you're training at your hardest and doing a full training session, that's not going to be as intense as the actual game or the fight or the the activity that you're performing. Yeah. So I like I like two full training sessions with yep. my footballers. Yep. And with my with my my fighters, I like them to have done at um, at least at least the number of rounds um, of full on sparring that they're going to do in their actual fight. And I like them to do that in at least a week uh, of training before they before a fight. Yeah, and it's great that you've got some um, you know sort of boundaries for to explain to people as well of of how that works and why it's important. Yeah. So, well, yeah. if you're not going to get through training, you're yeah. not going to get through again. <laughs> you're going to be sitting on that bench injured again. Correct. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Jack. Always a pleasure to have you and your knowledge, and thanks for sharing it. Thanks, Pip. It's been great to be here. If you have a topic you would like covered, get in touch via our socials. The contact details can be found in the episode notes. If you have loved listening today and are looking forward to future episodes, please subscribe, rate our show, share our podcast with your friends, work colleagues and families. So for now, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in today and see you next week.